Hey folks, welcome to another episode of RPG Hour on Twitch. Uh, I am Mr. RPG Hour. I am joined uh, by... If y'all will introduce yourselves. Uh, I'll go first. Hi, I'm uh, Cliff. I go by SpaceMoose34 on Twitter. Uh, I do uh, game design and editorial work, uh, mostly with a buddy of mine at Spilldale Studios, also uh, on Twitter at Spilldale. I am uh, I'm Eric, also known as Eldritch Crow. Um, you can find me as that pretty much anywhere. Usually, just ranting about um, TTRPG stuff or currently school. As of today, we are going to be talking about uh, science fantasy or space fantasy, as some people call it, um, and we're going to be focused on like the technology in these types of games and related media. And I say related media because last time we're like. In tabletop role-playing games, and we talked about, like, non-tabletop role-playing game stuff as well. So I'm adding in related media this time, because I'm going to start with my favorite that I think has done it the best, in my personal opinion. Um, I think that uh, Disney's Treasure Planet is oh, absolutely. one of the best melding of science fantasy. It's got a great science fiction uh, foothold, as well as a great fantasy hold as well. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more on the fantasy side the, uh, with, like, magic or um, uh, psionic abilities or something. But um, I feel that it's it's been one of the best meldings. And then when we get to the t uh, tabletop role-playing game space, I feel like we don't have as much of that going on. We've got Star Wars! And, I mean, if you really look at a lot of Star Wars, it is basically fantasy in space with a sprinkle of science fiction right um i 100 agree with you there um uh, we're seeing a little bit of growth in that direction now with um more unlike the live play like actual play side of things and the actual ttrpg dev i would feel um just because i see a lot of people that want that genre so they just go and make a show and play a certain system for it um, I think the latest TTRPG I saw that even gets close to this would be probably Burn Bright. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of just stuff that's sort of out there and released. Um, but then again, I think I've missed a couple of releases in the indie TTRPG scene lately as well. But yeah, I 100% I agree on the Treasure Planet front, by the way. And I think the only reason why we didn't get more of like weird alien psionic or magic stuff is just runtime. Yeah, and I and I know that you know they they have this weirdness to them about when Disney does stuff like there's like let's see how people like it, and then sometimes they're like oh you you have an audience, well it's not the audience we want so we're just not going to keep going. Right. Yeah. Also, Treasure Planet was one of those weird niche ones where like it was in that sort of transition period for Disney too, where it never got as much attention as it really should have. Um, but. Outside of my general opinions on how well it did, I feel like it blended um, sort of the the overall golden age of piracy aesthetic with uh, science fiction very, very well. Um, and I think part of that, too, is I'm going to be honest. I think the difference between science fiction and science fantasy is that science fantasy doesn't necessarily care about explaining all its sci-fi bullshit. Um right. Whereas science fiction very often tries to at least even half-ass an explanation. I think science fantasy is like, no, this is just the either the aesthetic we're going for or this is just what happens and you're not going to get an explanation. You just have to trust us on it. Or the um, I think explanation. It, oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, I feel like it places the... Um, I'll call it the burden of understanding or the burden of explanation more on the audience than it does on the presenter, I guess would be the better choice of words there. The only other time that you really do see it in science fantasy is when they're like, okay, we have to explain something because it's going to be a plot point or an adventure point or um, and you get a lot of that with uh, D&D Spelljammer. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Spelljammer fan, but at the same time, I'm like, I want more 
there's a whole section of stuff that you could have done and you walked away. And it's like, at this point, it's like, people are like, let's bring back Spelljammer. And I'm over here like, no, let's build something new with new people. And but I, we have to be a bit careful there because that also touches on like, we kind of hit on this our last talk too about like how much of D&D is bogged down by its own history one and by people just wanting to go back to that old history too mm-hmm. um whereas like i mentioned burn brighter earlier i feel like burn bright is a great step in the right direction for sci-fi or ttrpgs i haven't had a chance to read it yet but everything i see about it is just rave reviews which is wonderful because i'll be honest i think straight fantasy rpgs are sort of overrepresented in this space i'm down for more sci fantasy um numenera has made a huge resurgence in the past like year year and a half because of modern cook games and it's amazing i love that and i love that they're doing 5b compatible versions of all their stuff for it too because it also means that hey we have our own system for this but we also want it to breach a broader market so how do we do that when well, you write for 5b is how you do that unfortunately but see newman era for me tickles a weird space because it doesn't feel like it really hits fantasy enough. It doesn't feel like it really hits like science fantasy enough for me either. But then it like hits this weird, like post-apocalyptic itch. Mm-hmm. And it, it really does like, I, I've played in games that are completely just not that, but like when I read the book, I just get this weird, like itch in the back of my head as this is capitalist trying to stay alive as the world goes asunder. <laughs> and this is, you know, religion trying to stay alive as the world goes asunder. And, it has a very uh, post-apocalyptic feel for me, but, and I think that that's the thing is sometimes with science fantasy, we end up with this almost weird post-apocalyptic feel. Uh, 80s movies like Crawl has that. You know, it is very much a science fantasy. Um, Dune had it too. Yeah, Dune. And, and Dune, Dune hits that real weird space where it is like almost hard sci-fi. And then... I, I w- I would say it definitely is hard sci-fi. It's just weirdly placed in its own like time, I guess, its own timeline. It's very localized. You know, most of your your major sci-fi, you know, strays towards space opera where you're spanning the galaxy or even if you're uh, talking about something in um, like the expanse, you know, the the drama is multi-planets, large scale, this sort of thing where the drama for Dune a lot of times is still very much localized, you know, and so that that localization helps with the, the sci, uh, science fantasy feel of it, uh, at least in, in, in my purview of it. And the, the thing that kind of gets me with, you were talking about Numenera, uh, Dune, uh, Dark Sun, to a degree where you have that post-apocalyptic feel, is the idea of like, a utopian space like for me science fiction and sci-fi sci-fantasy have a more utopian feel to it kind of similar to science fiction where we've expanded either to the stars or someone has and you know it's very big ideals where you know the the more post-apocalyptic things like like crow uh, and dark sun and luminera you know still have that kind of you know everything is fading and decaying and you've got to get what you can with this, you know, outrageous technology or, or the, the remnants of it, you know? And I think that's kind of a, a real big, uh, a real big facet of it is that sort of utopianism that you have to tie into. It, so. Yeah. And the, there's an element of like fatalism there too, where, um i find the points where like science fiction and post-apocalypse stuff really cross over is when you have this the story turns on a point of okay this is one person or a small group of people affecting the course of much larger things or this is a person or group of people that ultimately don't have a whole lot of an impact and that's that's really where the difference between post-apocalypse and sci-fi hit for me and also where you can start getting some interesting mixed tones as well um so like for example technically the hunger games is a sci-fi story it has a lot of the aesthetic it has a lot of the play of a sci-fi story 
but ultimately there's this fatalism to it where it's like no 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 this society has gone through its own social apocalypse Mm -hmm. it is bleak it is utopian for some but not for others and while i may not exceptionally like how it was done it stands as a very good example of the intersection of the two um for me i've always felt like uh sci-fantasy and sci-fi are like so closely tied i've always felt like the devil was in the details really it's in execution and it's in just how far are you willing to go to make this all make sense um well, you, you bring up a really good point. I think I would break it down is the difference between that small group of people affecting the change versus that uh, small group of people that were focused on being affected by the change or resisting it to a degree and you know circling it back around to uh, tabletop RPGs. Our games for the most part, for the longest part from the you know founding of tabletop RPGs have been about the players, small group of people affecting the change. You know, it's only in more recent times, more recent games where you are basically enduring the change and you're, you know, reacting to it. And that's how the story is built. You know, and that may be why it's more difficult at times to sort of capture it in play because, you know, you, you want your characters to be the story as opposed to the story happening to them. Yeah, and that hits on an interesting like intersection of TTRPG space too, because I feel like where when it comes to tabletop games specifically, the games where players affect change are the games that are usually heroic based. They are D&D, they are your Numeneras and that sort of thing. Whereas the games that are that have the players being affected by change feel much more like horror games, really. Right um you know 10 candles is a great example um we had a game of 10 candles happen as part of rpg hour as well and even though i wasn't there i the one thing i was very intrigued by through the game's construction was oh you have a ticking clock on the game Mm -hmm. you you have to make choices and then when that clock ticks down you don't get to make choices anymore which is a very like it's a very intriguing way to create pressure, but it's also sort of taking agency away from the players in a specific view as well. So really that, that does support a lot of what you're saying when it comes to sci-fi and sci-fantasy as well in that dichotomy of like, okay, are you going to make waves or are you not going to? I think a very good example of sci-fi where it's like, all right, you're going to be affected by a big radical change here is the Aliens franchise. Where like, all right, you got a bunch of people in a space station or in a spaceship that find one small thing. And yes, Aliens is also a horror movie, but it's very, very strongly encoded as sci-fi. Where it's like, all right, these people are used to a specific status quo brought about by technology, brought about by their social scenarios. That status quo is going to change now because, hey, we discovered an alien life form for the first time and it wants to eat our faces um and that's that's a wonderful breakdown of it i think i think treasure planet kind of hits on that as well because you have one teenage kid who winds up finding an entire lost treasure except the entire lost treasure is a planet with teleportation gateways right well like let's say it's amazing sorry go ahead and you know if, if we uh games like traveler that have been around for a long time uh that are hard sci-fi most people don't dig too deep into some of the more extended lore um and the rules got easier and more complicated over the years and there's a section called the uh spinward marches if i'm i am probably not remembering this correctly it's been years since i've run or played this but this part of the universe has an entire section of humans that are completely psionic based like their entire culture is built around the fact that almost everybody has psionics. And in that same area of space, there's a place called the Sword Worlds where technology varies hugely and you get planets that look like they would fit into the Firefly series. So you literally nice. have a hard sci-fi universe and then you go all the way over to this one little area and if you looked at it, 
you're like, oh, hey, this is really cool. It almost has a sci fantasy feel. And then when you remember that the Imperium is run by a like there are people that are dukes and duchesses and marquises and things like that you get like drawn into where if you really focus on that style of the imperium and not the sort of you know stormtrooper side of it you get like drawn back into you could really run a science fantasy with traveler and if you use the older traveler rules with like newer spacefaring rules from like one of the newer travelers it goes so smoothly. Uh, it, it, it's 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 one of those things that if you were to run it, that would honestly be one of the systems that I would go to if I wanted less crunch. Because your character sheet can literally be written on half of a note card depending on your handwriting. And that's everything you need to play for your character. That's amazing. I love that. At the same time, too, I wonder if um, science fiction and science fantasy have kind of been a bit slower on the uptake for players just because of scope. Uh, just because of, like, I, I wonder if the idea of having multiple planets and multiple galaxies gets overwhelming for game runners and overwhelming for players as well. Um, just because I, I could see that. I could see that being a bit of an issue. And I could also see designers getting a little bit in the weeds on it as well um, with regards to doing just too much lore. You know, the, the, the one thing I will say about D&D is that due to them being a heavily regimented production cycle, I don't see them ever having a problem with having too much lore because their cycle for drip feeding information is actually very, very well done. That's one thing I'll give them. Um, but I worry that, uh, or I wonder maybe that uh, sci-fi might just feel a bit too big for people to run at their tables. I, I think that that's definitely definitely right there. I mean, we look at Star Wars, and people don't have an issue running Star Wars, but let's be honest, they treat it like a quick blurb. You're on Tatooine. It's it's a, a sand planet. There you go. And people are like, oh, okay. You're on Dagobah. It's a swamp planet. Go. And, and I think that because the movies do that, like, you're literally flying into, except for, like, the new ones, which is the thing, the only thing that bugged me about the new movies is that we don't get like a title of what planet it is above the planet. Like that's the one thing, honestly, I loved the new movies. That's the only thing that bugged me is I was like, that's not there. What planet is this? Um, it's also one thing guardians of the galaxy did extremely well. Yeah. was like they used their title cards. Right. Supremely. And the thing is, is that it, it, if you were to pick up a uh, traveler in almost any era of traveler, there is so much lore out there pre-built and at the same time creating a planet that your character comes from, that your character originates on, is so simple and quick that like it's not even funny. Like You can literally uh, create a blurb that is just a, a bunch of little numbers and just a couple of lines of text that you create a whole planet or a whole system based on this. And you don't even have to worry about it. That's all that you really ever have to do or say. And so you can get that quick, easy feel from Traveler. But what I've seen from a lot of other games is there's either nothing at all, so lore fans can't get it. But there's also, like, not really a quick build system. It's just like, cool, Game Master, go. And I think that that's where people flounder for a lot of these other science fiction games and science fantasy stuff i think is that they feel like they have to come up with so much for planets literally there's stuff from the original um traveler that i go back and grab for other science fiction and science fantasy type games because it's pre-built in if i'm doing space i'm actually going to go back to that those 1970 i think they're 1977 1978 books or something like that or maybe even a little bit later um i'm going to grab those because I feel like I, I feel like you bring up a very interesting point here as well as like um, how much fantasy specifically is part of our current pop culture zeitgeist, but science fiction and science fantasy still lag behind a little bit. So people have much more familiarity with fantasy and a mo and much more comfort with fantasy. 
versus having sci-fi which really the two top sci-fi genre or sci-fi ips i would say in popular culture in my mind are the aliens franchise and star wars like those are the two big hits right now the expanse is recent but it hasn't had the life or the lifespan i would say of either of those to really sit into people's memories and become something that other people base things on um but like you look at aliens and star wars and like everything kind of spins out of those um to a certain degree now on the other side of that i also feel like sci-fi creates choice paralysis in a weird way where it's like okay where do i start whereas for fantasy you're like okay i want this feel these i know something with this feel already exists so i can borrow some beats from that and know i'm going in the right direction whereas sci-fi you don't really have a lot of that because the aesthetics of it can vary so wildly um well see i was i was going to say something kind of to the opposite of what both of you were saying to a degree um because i'm i'm a huge trek i'm a huge star trek nerd oh and, god star trek i should have mentioned that no, I feel right. a fool. And, and, you know, having a background in science and all stuff, if I was building, and we kind of touched on this last time, I'm building a game, building a system that has that overlap between science and fantasy. The hard part for me is stopping the crunchiness with the science because how in-depth do I go? Like one of my favorite books when I was a, a young nerdling was the uh, Star Trek tech, technical manual from The Next Generation. And pretty much it had blueprints and layouts and explanations and all the techno babble for everything, everywhere in the ship. We even described the, uh, the uh, dolphin tank stellar cartography from the uh, movies back in like the 70s and 80s. But that's, that's way down in the weeds. You know, how do you turn that into a game for the most part? Like how, you know, if, so, if I wanted to play a game of Star Trek, then how do I make a character who is a scientist in that dolphin stellar cartography area and then make it relevant for everything that we do going forward? Because I really like that, that sort of thing, you know? And, you know, kind of where you try to bring the fantasy in on top of that science fiction is where you um, you, you meet the, the border of the suspension of disbelief. Like mm -hmm. I can into the weeds of describing everything down to you know a subatomic level for something in uh, science fiction. One of my favorite book series, The Neutronium Alchemist, is very crunchy science fiction in in that regard, you know. But if I want to bring someone who can levitate things with their mind and swing a, a, a laser sword, you know, do I? Everyone hates midichlorians. Midichlorians is the science fiction in the science fantasy of Star Wars. You know, yep. it's, it's a bacterial thing that gives the power as opposed to space wizard because you believe hard. You know, and that's that's a fantastic way to explain it. And I feel like that's part of what a major gripe without people realizing it is about the uh, prequels and those explanations is like the, the beauty of original Star Wars is that they never bother to explain anything. Um, you never have to worry about how an X-Wing flies because it just does even right. in the extended universe stuff like I am a huge fan of the former extended universe novels that are no longer canon mm -hmm. because for the most part they never bothered explaining anything unless it needed to be explained as a plot point as RPG hours said earlier whereas for sci-fi like when I'm in the mood for sci-fi I'm in the mood to know how things work I'm in the mood to know why certain things work and why certain things don't I'm in the mood to know why if you break this certain law of physics, you're either going to do what you need to do or you're going to have a real bad time. I think the most fun I've had watching Star Wars was watching the light speed skip past a shield barrier in the new trilogy. I, I love the new trilogy because they never explained why that would work, but it was just enough sci-fi for me to be like, all right, I can see it. And I think it has to be done well. Um, mm -hmm. Because Timothy Zahn, his novels add a little bit more science fiction-y nature to some of the things in Star Wars. 
but it doesn't feel like you're being taken out of Star Wars. It just feels like it makes the Imperium feel more like a machine. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's done well in that regard. On the flip side, um, Isaac Asimov wrote a series called Foundation. And in the Foundation mm-hmm. novels, there's a society that worships somebody that's like a barbarian. And this character is like, but they're they're sitting on a throne of technology. It's literally a computer. They're literally using you know, high-end technology to do this. And the way that it's being explained and everything is done in a way that doesn't make you feel like the curtain is being pulled back. It makes you feel like you've known the curtain is pulled back the whole time and you are now worried for these people. Is this person an actual believer that this is real? Or is this someone... Uh, Oh, did we lose the thing? Uh, Y'all continue talking. Um, Apparently something happened with, uh, for some reason, it thinks that I, it says that we have 10 more minutes on our Zoom call, but we should have a lot longer. Hmm. Q technical difficulty screen. Uh, I know. But... Well, I think my my thoughts on that would be, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, is the idea that science fantasy sets the rules for the eventual breaking of the rules as the as the turn in narrative, you know, the, the twist for it, where science uh, fiction, you know, more pure science fiction, sets the rules as the actual framework for the story, and and science fiction games do that as, as well. You know, these are this these are the lines that you color within for the, you know, for the story, for whatever's going on in pure science fiction. While in science fantasy, you just set that up so that when your hero or heroes, you know, protagonist, antagonist, whatever the case may be, comes along to break things, then you, it's, it's a big moment. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I feel like one of the most fun examples I've had of science fiction media lately um was horizon zero dawn um and horizon zero dawn was a very particular breed of science fiction um where it was post-apocalyptic it was a very i don't want to call it a narrow story but it was a very trimmed down story than we're used to seeing in a lot of big science fiction um it didn't deal with like multiple planets or anything like that it dealt with a particular area dealt with a particular protagonist going through some societal issues and going through mostly a person versus wild, but the wild is all technology issue, um, which is extremely fascinating in its own right. And the reason why it worked so well is because Aloy, the main character, wasn't about to go do anything superhuman. All of the technology was aesthetically medieval basically you know bows and arrows and things like that but all of it was also using scavenged parts from highly advanced i would almost call them techno organic robots um whereas with regards to science fantasy i'll go back to one of my favorites and i will say this is science fantasy more than it is steampunk or anything like that is the dishonored series and i say it's science fantasy more than it's uh, steampunk or even um, oh, I lost the word for it more than it's steampunk just because it has a magic element to it which you don't often see in pure steampunk um, you get that more out of like magic punk and things like that so hey sorry that's time out real quick um, <clears throat> I apparently logged in on the wrong account <laughs> um, so I if, if, if we lose this I will get it back up as soon as possible otherwise um, y'all keep talking about things, but I'm going to try and log in on this other account and I hope that it doesn't crash our chat because it says I can just switch user without getting out of here. So, um, yeah, sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, Dishonored's fantastic and it sits, it has this very like close place in my heart because I loved the games, but also their overall aesthetic is very like, all right, so we have alternative fuel sources. We have 
some versions of electricity we have in the second game we have clockwork soldiers to worry about and entire like automated houses but we also have this black-eyed outsider god who's going to give you void powers um and all of a sudden you can turn into a shadow beast or stop time and like i absolutely adored that are they ever going to explain that well i'm pretty sure that explanation isn't coming considering one of the dlcs murdered the void god but you know that happens and i think that dishonored they're coming out with a tabletop rpg aren't there there's a uh modifius already did okay okay Mm -hmm. um i haven't had a chance to read it i am fascinated in reading it but uh modifius is very lucky with the ips they get to play with yeah well and and also if if you're not a big if you go look at it and you're like that's not a system for me let's be 100 percent honest here uh Blades in the Dark is very Dishonored feeling. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of crossover there. There's not a whole lot you'd have to do to give it just that like little step up. I keep saying that I want to write up a special um, uh, crew sheet that's based around like Dishonored, the video games, and run oh, a Dishonored-based uh, Blades in the Dark game. Um, uh, but... I have to replay it, and so like it's an excuse, but it's also like I have no time to play that right now. Like, I barely have enough time to play three rounds of Among Us. How am I going to get time to like play uh, Dishonored and all the many hours of glory that it is? So, um, it's also like I want to I want to play Dead Space again. Um, but- oh, Dead Space is such <laughs> a great sci-fi horror thing going on. Like, sci-fi and horror have really deep roots together. And I think partially that's because sci-fi so often deals with the broad void of space and what could be out there. Um, they both have that sense of what's going on beyond the reach of the firelight. Well, and not just that, but I also feel like science fantasy and space fantasy have a very close connection with horror as well, because as soon as you get into this idea of there's powers or something you almost immediately come back over to eldritch horrors and cosmic <laughs> horrors. And, you know, not even that all the time, though, because uh, we have um, Event Horizon, which uh, tickles at space fantasy. Uh, they, just, they explain things away. They have all that. But every time you get glimpses of the other world, it is absolutely <laughs> just like wild out there um uh dm irene in twitch chat uh frankenstein horror horror novel but also the f- first true science fiction novel and then rainy just said zombies zombies are the lady <laughs> for all of it and i mean listen rainy you don't have to call me out in chat when you know i'm working on a very like eldritch horror based zombie multiverse it's fine um but uh zombies show up in like almost everything because both science fiction and science fantasy have a deep deep fascination with what happens after we die Mm -hmm. or how quickly can we get to us dying in some cases as well (laughs) well and and i'm gonna say something that's not a very um popular opinion um i i know that there is so much so many people that regard frankenstein as the first science fiction novel um And I'm going to disagree. I think that it's our first science fantasy novel. There is only so much that she actually dives into about the medical side of it because it's just this fantastical idea. And I think that it's more along the lines of, I know that science fiction birthed itself from that, but I think that if we really look at it, it birthed science fantasy and it, science fiction was like we're going to focus on the science but we had all these other cool horror things that came out of that as well mm-hmm. and we have to look at the fact that science fantasy via frankenstein birthed so much of what we have now for horror and science fiction yeah you, you hit kind of that that point where it's the lightning did it you know the lightning brings frankenstein alive with electricity as opposed to going in depth on you know, the lightning's interactions with the various chemicals and everything that 
you know, ties it all together that, you know, creates Frankenstein. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to contest your point, RPG Hour. I'm going to say it is the first science fiction novel because I would define it this way. I would say it's the first science fiction novel because it deals with the probable within the bounds of what was known at the time. So, like, there is no reason for them to think that, like, if you piece a body together and lightning strike it, it wouldn't come back to life. Because, you know, by that point, the medical knowledge just, it was getting there, but it wasn't quite there yet. I feel like a lot of science fiction plays with the probable or the possible within what we know is probable. I feel like a lot of science fantasy plays with the idea of what is improbable versus what we know is possible currently. And I feel like a lot of like horror or at least science fiction. Let me click this. We're back. There we go. Sorry, everybody. Um, Like I said, it, it looks like Zoom, even though I switched it over, did not catch it. Um, and so, uh, but I will say this, uh, cool. Valor is saying, um, that he said, uh, your point crow before you did in chat. So, yeah, well, <laughs> I will also, uh, considering, um, that he said it, I'll just quote from him then. Uh, my understanding was that science fiction is making the improbable probable and fantasy is making the impossible possible which can seem very much like the same statement unless you're an English literature nerd like me, at which point they become very different things. Um, you know, science fiction always plays within the bounds of, yeah, I could see this happening. Whereas fantasy constantly plays with the bounds of, oh, that's weird, but it's really cool. Um, oh, hey. <laughs> Toddler does not care about uh-huh. your terms of service. <laughs> Okay, we'll close the door. All right. No, 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 no. With you outside of it, go, go, go find Mama, baby. I love you, but you... Uh, you. Thank you. Thank you for the cookies. I absolutely, I agree with. Well, from the standpoint of science. All things are probabilities. There, there is no impossibility. It's basically just how likely and unlikely, you know, up to and, and through a, de- a degree of likeliness, you know. So, I, I agree with the statement, but don't <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, in layman's terms, you agree with it. In right. professional, you are an educated person of science terms. Now that's some bullshit. Right. Uh, <laughs> let's be honest here. But let, let me put it this way then. Maybe I kind of look at it as science fiction. Um, oh, Lord, how can I word this? Science fiction centers around a degree of understanding. Science fantasy centers around a degree of awe at events, like awe and wonderment science horror i'll call it centers around the idea of fearing what we don't understand and maybe i would split it up that way where science fantasy i'll be honest science fantasy tends to be much brighter and much more hopeful in strange ways than science fiction because it's less hard-coded there's more chance for the good guys to win they don't always you know that's where you get the darker stories but the hope is there Whereas for science fiction, there's always these kind of harder lines drawn where it's like, you really hope they can get out of this, but you know they can't get out of this unless they break the rules and they aren't breaking the rules anytime soon. And then science horror is, okay, they are outside their status quo now. We don't know what's going on. The rules have been broken in a way that is extremely egregious. What do we do? That's, that's my take on the split between the three, I would say. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think the horror comes in where you were talking about sort of that, that awe and inspiration, where the horror is the violation of that awe and inspiration, because you have the, the exploration, the, the exploratory portion of the science fiction and science fantasy, the finding, the discovery. But then, you know, I think I've been speaking in binaries all night. 
It's the idea of um, you discovering or, you know, humanity, whoever the protagonist discovering the thing versus being discovered by the thing, the thing coming upon you in a way that sort of- oh, that is, that is a lovely, lovely thought. It violates your principles and your understandings of who you are. So take going back to aliens, for instance. The whole thing with the alien, you know, the, 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 I forget the, I keep coming back to space marines. Space marines and aliens? I haven't seen aliens. Uh, only if we talk about the one video game that nobody ever wants to talk about. <laughs> right, right. But the, the, the crew in the original aliens, you know, they have this sort of superiority. They're at the edge of technology. They're doing a thing. They have this arrogance about them. And the alien comes and violates that. All of the horror aspects of science fiction, science fantasy, is the violation of that all inspiration sort of utopian ideal, where the equivalent of that, going back to Star Trek, would be the board. Like, mm -hmm. thing centering around Star Trek, you have the crew who are exemplary you know exceptional they always come up with an answer they always you know figure out not just the uh the way to do something but the absolute best way to do it and if they don't where it was just the impossible task impossible situation the board could come along and completely disrupt that you know and that's what lends it to that they're one of my favorite zombies because that's what it is the Borgar zombie story you know oh and yeah that that's really fair. I never actually considered them in the context of zombie stories, but you are absolutely right on that. It's you know, because the whole thing with zombies is at any point you're infected, infected, you're added yeah. to the collective, you know, to the horde of zombies. So it's it's a zombie story in a science fiction context, and it's in a way made more horrifying because that science fiction utopianism is it solves everything. It's solved world hunger, it's solved racism. You know, it goes out there and it confronts these things that haven't, or people who haven't resolved those things. Well, here's something that you, you can't cure it until they do, of course, because they have to, because, you know, they had to be on the air for the next seven years. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's also another thing, too, is we're talking about, you know, creations that have intent behind them. We're talking about genres that are wildly different based on the intent of their creators like star trek changes wildly in its lore and can swing very much between like science fantasy science horror and science fiction depending on the episode because you know they star trek for the longest time was monster of the week stories right. uh, but on starships um scooby-doo in space one might say uh <laughs> god how, I, I made that comparison how you could just park <laughs> the mystery machine in the middle of a space shuttle and everybody just go, oh, Fred is still beyond me. Like that is like pinnacle, like top of Scooby-Doo. I mean, I'm also just going to put it out there. The original like next generation shuttles did look a bit like the mystery machine. Oh, absolutely. Just saying. Um, there's that. Uh, there's also like, you just, there's Q. Q is like anytime Q shows up is when things become science fantasy in Star Trek because he's the he's that break in the rules that's not a negative break by any means all of his episodes wind up being exceedingly positive in their outcomes actually um, which is kind of brighter and more hopeful the way science fantasy is going back to the treasure planet comparison um, treasure treasure planet is an extremely hopeful story um, in the sense that it's not like it, in the sense that everyone hopes for something and those hopes are either met or not met by the end of the story. I think personally for me, a, a something that I'd like to see come to tabletop role-playing games uh, would be John Carter. Oh. Um, I've, I've read a couple of... Uh, I've read, I think it's the second or third book in the series before I knew it was a series. And then I've read excerpts of other books and I've seen the movie and it really is like a good, like cross section of science fantasy. It's got just enough high tech to be like, wow. Mm -hmm. And just enough like fantastical things to be like, Oh, this is really cool. 
But the reason why I really like it is that in a lot of science fantasy, it is simply like this is the technology level or this is a way high technology level. Um, and, you know, we're just going to try and figure out how it works. John Carter is somebody from a whole nother planet where the technology level is vastly different. And then he gets ported over to this other one. And he's met with people that whose technology level isn't that different from his. In fact, is a little bit less. And then there's people with like technology level that is way more advanced. Mm-hmm. And um, I I I, I kind of like some of it. I'd have to definitely dive into the books more to say like uh, what I think would be like a great system for it. But I kind of bounce personally between. Um, modding uh classic traveler modding um or using a toolkit system that does technology levels well like GURPS um or doing something that's completely narrative based like fantasy um maybe fate um my my I, I I my only issue with fate at this point after having had it run for me multiple times is the dice um yeah uh, that's that's my only hiccup with fate, but um, so I mean John Carter would be mine. What about y'all? What is a science fantasy that doesn't already have a TTRPG that you'd like to see made into one? Hmm. And what system, if somebody was just to port it into a system, what system would you like to see it in? That's a good question. You know what? For me, I would say the the IP itself, which leans more fantasy until you start reading it and finding out that it has these science fiction underpinnings are the uh, Shinari series of books like you get further oh, in yeah. yes and you find out that, like oh this is actually like post-apocalyptic earth and all these things have spun out of humanity and they're basically mutations from you know radiation and that way you know a lot of it is you know Numenera and it, it relates to other things as far as the system, I don't have as much experience with other systems, non-D20 systems, non-D20 and D6, so I can't really pin it to everything. My first instinct is always to rip apart a D20 system and just, speaking of Frankenstein, to Frankenstein together the things that I like, mm-hmm. you know, until it, it functions in a way that, since I usually am DMing, I can tell the story the way that I want to within it you know but yeah i, I would wouldn't mind seeing that given uh, a good treatment um what else i will say if you haven't already seen it um the shannara chronicles uh the series that they did mm-hmm. um they pull a lot of that undertone into it almost immediately so you're not just like which i mean granted depending on like what what books you were real big fans of. Um, but I'm a huge fan of um, a lot of the earlier stuff. So uh, when I first watched the series, I had to pull the books back out and I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot that it gets like this at this point. Um, but uh, it says that it's on Netflix according to uh, just stream it. Um, so for those of you that uh, want to go watch that, that haven't read the books uh, to find out what we're talking about. Uh, it does exist on season one and season two is on there. So nice. Yeah, that was definitely one of those things where I was like, well, I didn't expect anyone to take this, you know, childhood favorite property of mine and turn it into uh, a thing. Um, I think, and this relates back to a discussion. I forget if it was either on discord or uh, on Twitter. Now that we're talking about it, I would say uh, pirates of the dark water. You know, yes. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it is science fantasy to its core, you know, and it's treasure planet, you know, just like we're discussing. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Thank, thank you both both of you for reminding me of treasure planet so that I'll have something to watch when I'm awake at like 3.30 in the morning. But, <laughs> such a good movie, though. So good. Um, For me, like... Dishonored is one of those things that I really wanted to see as a TTRPG, and I'm glad Modifius did it. It's also one of those things I don't think anyone could ever do right as a TTRPG. And I'll, and I'll explain why. 
when you like a video game experience is a very different mold for storytelling than a TTRPG experience. When it comes to science fiction and fantasy in video games, in books, in these much more scripted and controlled environments, the science fiction and fantasy elements for me always are a backdrop until they are necessary to tell the story. With TTRPGs, that kind of flips a little bit. Everything is necessary because everything is the thing your players can bounce off of and will bounce off of at some point, even if it's just a vain thought in the back of your head. A vague thought, pardon me. So there's this weird difference in interaction you need. So I think Dishonored is a great one. I just don't think... I, I feel like too many TTRPGs would be focused on replicating the gameplay of it and not enough on replicating the the overall tone and vibe of it, which is probably why my choice to play a Dishonored TTRPG would be Blades in the Dark. Because Blades in the Dark, you know, did that better. Like, um, RPG are brought up. One thing I'd love to see for science fantasy brought over is the sort of a summation of the Final Fantasy universe. Final Fantasy is like, when I think quintessential science fantasy, that's where my brain goes. Because that was sort of my first introductions to the series when I was a kid. Or one to the genre i should say and yes it's like crystal punk fantasy stuff depending on which one you go to but like even the early final fantasy games like we look at final fantasy 6 and 7 those are all science fantasy to a t especially 7 like you you get into like capitalist we're destroying the planet science fantasy with that one um and it would just be wonderful but i don't think anyone would ever Again, I feel like basing it off video games is a bad idea because too many people will focus on replicating gameplay instead of replicating vibe. There was a fan version uh, a number of years ago that was actually really, really good, in my opinion. It was a faster play style game. Um, It was more focused on telling a story. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like some older game systems that are out there the heaviness of it was creating your character rather than playing the game. Um, so it took a while to create the character, uh, just like some of the old, some older games are. But like once you get down to playing, it really is easy. Like it's, it's, it's a very simplistic how to do it. Um, but it was never done anything beyond a fan thing because it uses an intellectual property. Um, but there, it's difficult to find because when you search for it, um, it honestly comes up with like all the D and D versions or like the miniature game that was made. Um, yeah, there is a D six version and it's okay, but it, it it's not at least the, the six, the D six version that I had played it was very much a um, just sort of copy of um, D and D with replaced with six sided dice. It was three d six to roll, so you had three to eighteen. Um, I'll pose a question. Um, what's a science fiction or science fantasy IP that? Uh, y'all don't think could be made into a TTRPG effectively. Mm. Or would just take more work than it's worth to take that into a different track. So I would say that uh, the book series that I mentioned earlier, the Neutronium Alchemist, Mm -hmm. because it is so hardcore science fiction, you know, in its description of, you know, the science that's at play in the work, like, if you were to make it less crunchy so that it's functional as a game, a lot of people can play, then that actually takes away from some of the, the work itself because the the nuts and bolts down to that level is what makes the series. You know, it's, it's what, it's a, it's a big part of it. And unless you get together, you know, basically five physics nerds who are all about you know, everything, you know, down to that level, it, it kind of it, it loses some appeal. So I don't think you can really do it. 
highly recommend it. You know, I, anyone go out there and read it. We're probably not supposed to be plugging things, but you know, yeah, go go out there and check it out. This uh, the stream is entirely unsponsored. We're just talking about things we like. Y'all know how it is. Yeah, I don't think we're on the blip where we'd get in trouble for anything like that at this point. But um, I'm gonna say heavy metal. I didn't bring it up much during this, um, but heavy metal is actually my favorite science fantasy anthology. Um, the both movies are really good, but I think the the fact of the matter, the way that it works as an anthology, the way that it tells multiple stories, the way that the magazine worked, the way that it just is a set of different series. It's not meant to be a lasting story. It's meant to be like a real quick one shot, but the idea is that there's also like a weirdness interlaced through all of them. And I think that in all honesty, it would be a, it would be, it would be something really weird to play out because when the second movie came out, the second movie was one story and there are parts that feel like it dragged on. And like, it's a cool movie. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just like, okay, cool. Like we're not getting a different story here. We're not seeing this orb that corrupts things, corrupting another society. Instead, we're just getting like it kind of bouncing around and showing like, oh, this person did this thing or this thing. I feel like the second movie is what would happen if it turned into a tabletop role-playing game if somebody wrote it up because you would have to simultaneously build a universal RPG system that was hyper-focused on corruption via an orb that the corruption comes and goes or it literally just vaporizes you instantly yeah that would be extremely difficult to even just mechanize for a game don't get me wrong it would be fun to try that that feels more like an experiment in futility a fun one but an experiment all the same I'm going to be a bit controversial, all things considered, and I'm going to say Star Wars. And I'm not going to say because I think people make bad Star Wars tabletop RPGs. I mean, we play what I think is a very serviceable one. I think it's because everyone who makes a Star Wars tabletop RPG tries to write too many goddamn rules to control the Force. <laughs> um, like, you can't... So this this is also an issue with the IP being bloated as all hell. I will say that much. With that many different hands working on the IP at any given time, the Force is a deus ex machina every single time it's used. Regardless of how, every single time it's used, it's a deus ex machina. For the simple reason that it will always do what the writers need it to do at any given point. And that is a concept that does not translate well to TTRPGs that are heavily rules-based. So up until this point, I think in order to run an effective Star Wars RPG or to create an, an effective Star Wars RPG, you need to have the balls to sit down and write a thing where it's like players spend this resource and do whatever the hell they want, which is not a kind of control that a lot of people are willing to give players, unfortunately. Um, you might get systems that would be very good at that in the recent surge of indie ttrpgs where people are getting much more comfortable with the idea of collaborative storytelling but it just hasn't happened yet i'm gonna say i slightly disagree and only because the way that psionics worked back in classic traveler back in the original way was just that you i i'll agree with you there I, I will wholeheartedly say you're right. I think the problem there is with perception. Yes. People don't view the Force as psionics. I was going to say... psionics uh, as having rules, unfortunately. People don't really view the Force as having those rules. Or they do, and they try to create rules for it. It gets really flippy and meta, from what I've seen. It's strange. That circles back around to what we were discussing earlier with the issue people have with the prequels versus everything you know the originals and even the newer movies is that you know lucas set a mechanic to the force where before the mechanic was if you believe hard enough you can do things with it you know it's, it's basically if you believe hard enough you know if you have enough faith then you can literally lift mountains and 
you know, the video games took it to a different extent. You can pull a starter story out of the sky because you believe hard enough or you are mad hard enough, you know. And uh, my, my favorite Star Wars system, and I think I've talked about it before, is the D20 Saga Edition system. I don't know if either of you ever really played it. Um, it was basically the test bed for D&D uh, 4th Edition. So a lot of the things that people found really positive for 4th Edition came out of Saga Edition, and it lets you build your character almost however you want it. You multi-class into whatever class you wanted, pulled whatever bits and bobs from it, and so your Jedi could be a combination scout, soldier, elite trooper, Jedi Knight sort of thing. That's what made your, your person. But the mechanic that I, I took from that system that I've used in just about everything that I've ever run is the destiny mechanic, where basically you get a set amount of points. And just like you're saying, Crow, you know, use the force allows you to all but do whatever you want. The destiny mechanic basically says, okay, you expend a point and yeah, it activates powers, it does all this other stuff, but it basically hands you this extra, this meta narrative control in the moment when you expend this coin. So now oh, instead of, it, yeah. it's an actual like setting accurate plot point. Got exactly. it. I, I've played other games with plot points before, so it wasn't clicking for me until I heard that. Thank you. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And it has additional mechanics surrounding it where, you know, if you are supporting your destiny, then you get these bonuses. If you are fighting against it, then it's destiny. You get these negatives, but other bonuses for other things, you know. And like you said, it sets that that flat point. And I'm like, okay, I really like that. I've I've lifted that and put that in everything else that I run. Like, okay, everyone has this finite resource, and basically, if you want to, ex you know, expend one in this critical moment, you now can define a narrative thing. So that's extra turns, things, actions outside of there, you know, deus machina, where you can summon additional help, that sort of thing. And I, I really, really like that. And it has just enough, you know, loosey-goosey narrative-based stuff that, you know, satisfies my need for storytelling, but also my need for all the crunchy, you know, mass-lock throwing intensive stuff that, you know, I, I like in the system as well, so. You know, and but their whole design uh, ethos, yeah, design ethos was we will make it, we will make the gameplay cue as close to uh, uh, the movie cinematics as possible. So all of the mechanics should mirror something that we at least have seen on screen in some facet, even though it used the old expanding universe. We'll take those things from the old expanding universe and mechanically try to fit them into something that could fit in the movie cinematics, you know, the, the visualization. I'm like, okay, didn't work always. There was a bunch of stuff that became very, very broken, <laughs> you know, but. I mean, yeah. Uh, so we've actually gone over time. If y'all want to plug your personal stuff right quick. Uh, absolutely. So my name is Cliff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SpaceMoose34. Uh, I do uh, creation and uh, editorial work with Spilled Ale Games, which you can also find at Spilled Ale on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I'm Eric, also known as Crow. Uh, you can find me um, on the, uh, you can find all of us on the upcoming Star Wars Legacies podcast here on RPG Hour. Go check it out. It's a lot of fun. I play a sugar addicted clone trooper. It's a fun time. Um, I also uh, do some content creation. I just started streaming recently, so you can find me on Twitch at Eldritch Crow. Um, been playing Hades and doing some uh, game dev talks over that. I'm also creating my own TTRPG, which is cards-based. It's going to be heroic fantasy and all that fun stuff, just because I love it. That's all. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. Um, I do have a website, eldritchgrow.com, which I need to get better at updating. But uh, you can find all of the info there. Uh, so the first episodes uh, that are currently dropping of uh, Star Wars Legacies uh, is actually out. Uh, we do not have the amazing runt on those. It is our uh, Halloween tin candles special edition stuff. Uh, but starting next month, we will be dropping the regular episodes, and those will be on the first and third um, uh, Tuesdays of the month. Um, and we're going to release every other week uh, for a little while, and then 
uh, as if people seem to like it, then we will actually go to weekly. Um, not that we aren't producing enough content to go weekly, uh, but editing out uh, the ums and the uhs uh, can actually reduce uh, by quite a little bit. Um, we are all part of RPG Hour Studios in one way, shape, or form. Uh, you can find us at RPGHour.com. You can find us on social media, RPG Hour. Uh, we have a Discord where we goof off and uh, talk about the shows on there. Um, and uh, our new thing is we're actually we switched over to Transistor.fm. Um, we can actually host all of our shows uh, for the same price rather than having a bunch of prices. Uh, they are not a sponsor, but I am letting – if you're looking to get into podcasting, that is honestly the way to go. Uh, and until the dice roll again. <laughs>